This is episode 13 of Biblically Speaking, a conversational question and answer show with two guys from Miller Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. If you've liked our page on Facebook, but you still aren't seeing our episodes published to your newsfeed, that's because Facebook limits who all sees pages' posts. Unfortunately, the only way to fix it is to interact with us more, so you can like uh, the individual posts, you can share them, you can comment, and Facebook will then show you more of our posts. It's silly, but it's just how Facebook works. Enjoy the show. Okay, so I was going to have you explain a parable to me today, but I've just changed my mind in the last few minutes. And so today I want to... Well, what was the parable? Well, I'll tell you that maybe next time. We'll hold off on it. Instead, I want to look at uh, Luke 18 and the second half of verse 8. Luke 18, 8, huh? Yeah. Which is probably a familiar verse to you, or familiar subverse. Which says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Oh, uh, yeah. You know that one? Yes. Okay. So I'd like to kind of speak about this in light of some of the conversation we were having before we started recording about church. Okay. Because you're you're being pretty adamant about the importance of church life to me. Fellowship, yeah. Christian fellowship. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. All um, those one another's. Yeah. But first, what what's the context of this? What's the what's the answer? I mean, it's he doesn't answer this question. No, it's implied. The answer is implied. Yes, and it seems like it's implied. No, right. It's a rhetorical question with the implicit answer of no. Maybe this is a strange question, but how do I know that the implied answer is no? I kind I feel like I do. It seems like the answer is no, but what if it's yes? What what is the time frame of this? Is that what you're saying? Well, I do I do want to address that. Oh, okay. But even before that, that's that, pretty easy. Even before that, why do both of you and I think that the implied answer here is no? Well, the language. I mean, the figure of speech. It's a it's a rhetorical question. All rhetorical questions have an implied answer. Don't yeah, but they? the implied answer is not always no. No, I mean some implied some uh, rhetorical questions have a different implied answer, don't they? Yeah, like see, yes, like yes, like yes, yeah. That was a Im- rhetorical question I just asked you. Was the implied answer is yes? So you just have to take the context and the language and say, well, I mean, I'm ready to be spoken to with rhetoric, and uh, look at the context. He's the the context here is when the Lord comes, He's going to avenge His elect. As I, I, I like to say, I mean, I got this out of Texas, but I like to say he's going to open a can of whoop-ass. My wife hates it when I say that. Well, she's not here. She's not here, and she's not from Texas, and <clears throat> probably never seen a can of whoop-ass actually opened. I have, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a very serious thing, uh, which cry a, a day and night unto him, though he bear along with them. And we see that whole scene in the book of Revelation, by the way. Exactly. Right. We see the scene of those that were slain under the altar, asking the Lord, when will you avenge us? And the answer, of course, then is, verse 8 is, now. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So in other words, we're moved forward to the future time mm. at the end of the time of Jacob's trouble, when the Lord will actually appear and avenge his elect. 
if the faith is not found... Yeah, he won't find a faith on here. Does that mean all the elect are gone? The elect is time to avenge them, not time to rescue them. So this speaks to the very end. The very end. Now, one could say, well, he takes his own unto himself, which he does. You could say, there's no faith on the earth because all the millions and billions of faithful have been taken. You could say that, go ahead. But that's not what the scriptures, the whole line of scriptures seem to show us. As we were talking before we went on air here, departure happened clear back there. All those in Asia have departed, Paul's told Timothy. So departure is the single most outstanding truth that we're left with, is departure. That we're left with hmm. in the scriptures. You read the totality of scriptures, you read the New Testament and watch the progress of doctrine as it flows from the Gospels through the book of Acts into the epistles and finally into the prison epistles Mm. and the mature books of scripture, including the book of Hebrews and 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3 John. You look at those epistles very carefully or even casually, you'll see the departure. You look at them carefully, and you'll see that that the uh, uh, admonitions have changed. Some people call it dispensational change. This is where I greatly differ with uh, Bullinger. And uh, later, you know, you might say, well, you know, he's Bullinger and you're you. Okay, fine, but I still differ. You know, my small voice still objects. And uh, John Nelson Darby, tremendous Bible student and uh, leader, but uh, identified the right problem, but brings the wrong solution. The, the problem that these fellows identify, as I agree with, is departure. Mm-hmm. Uh, their solution, for example, uh, Darby, the church is in ruins and we have to deal with that. Well, the church of God is never in ruin. It can't be a ruin. The church of God is created perfectly. It's a very simple thing and it is, remains perfect. Yeah, Christians are in ruin. Okay. If you look out over the landscape, I mean... Well, disobedience is something the scriptures have always dealt with. There would be no scriptures if it wasn't for disobedience. Like there'd be nothing to write about? Well, there's other stuff to write about, but it just wouldn't be written. wouldn't probably not needed to be if it wasn't for disobedience. We'd, You know, that's what if Adam, Adam never sinned. Sure. Well, there's no sense thinking and even talking about that. That's outside the context of the entire universe. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the real question is, you know, how do we deal with, how do we bear up? And though the apostle, uh, you know, seemed to stop admonishing and urging, for example, Timothy, in matters of appointing elders and uh, setting things in order in the churches and so forth like that, I mean, he did leave off talking about that and told him the things that thou hast seen and heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who are able to teach others also. I don't think that necessarily means that there's no church context to that. I mean, I have been able to live my life in the context of church fellowship, not without some difficulty, but difficulty is the ordinary Christian life. And within the context of the church of God, a local church, I've been able to find men to commit the things that I've been given to them uh, that they might be able to teach others also. I don't think, that, in other words, I don't think that admonition means that there was some unchurched dispensational age that opened up. Hmm. 
I mean, I'm putting less elegant words in the mouth of a of a dead believer when I talk about Darby that way. But mm-hmm. that was the result of his teaching was that, you, well, you can't have a church, so we'll do what we want. And then other people say, well, the only place the church of God is perfect is in heaven. And I want you to know that the church of God is not in heaven. The church of God is right here on earth. It's the local church. Every believer is seated in the heavenlies. Mm-hmm. And the Church of God is certainly a heavenly organization, but the Church of God is the local church, and it's right here. So people have tried to create other kinds of churches, like the Church of the Living. There's no Church of the Living. You know, so people, you'll hear some people talk about the church today, and what they really mean is all the Christians today, or they try to make some general statement about, you know, I don't know, some kind of global statement about the way things are, or sometimes you'll hear the American church. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no church of the Americans, you know, it's too big. The church is always local. It's in the context of a city. Now, we could talk about why it's in the context of a city. I have, I think I, I see the, some good reasons why it is. Well, let's do that. You want to do that? Yeah. Well, okay. When we talk about cities and we think about the scriptures, we have to think, well, where does the scripture talk about cities other than in the church? a church that is in such a city. Well, it talks about cities when it comes to rewards, and it talks about cities in the sense of kings, by the way, so that if you're faithful, you will rule over cities in the coming kingdom. What you get out of the parables of the of the talents, for instance. For example, yeah. Where the, the faithful servants there who are faithful while the master's away, when he returns, they're rewarded with... More responsibility. Rulership over, over his whole cities. House. Yeah, cities. Mm-hmm. Right. Different numbers of cities, which could be a hierarchy. I mean, if you're over five cities in the coming kingdom, maybe there's another believer over each one of them. Mm. Mm, you're just over that. But in, the, in a parable, Or maybe there aren't enough believers that qualify, so you got angels over cities, and you got to rule over those angels. But it's cities. Now, let but me... But it's ask. a parable. It's a parable, but they're still cities. What are the cities a parable? What could the cities possibly be a parable of? So he's talking about a household master, and then all of a sudden he talks about you'd be over cities. Yeah, yeah. So what or could he just... possibly talk about? He's talking about cities, and and cities, uh, by the way, in Scripture have kings over them. I mean, historically, cities, the, the historical cities that are referenced, have kings over them. For instance, the king of Salem, Og, the king of Bashan, Sion. Well, he's over the Amorites, but I'm sure there was a locust there. The kings are over cities. That's the way it is. That way it is. Aren't they regional as well? I mean, well, there's when the heavens there's princes over nations. If that is that what you mean? No, I'm speaking of earthly kings. Sometimes they expand their territory beyond a city, like Nebuchadnezzar did. Yeah, yeah, but he's still called king of Babylon, right? The capital city. Right. So. Rome also rings a bell. Yeah. We got, you know, Caesar. Right. So cities are important aspects of government in the in the context of the spiritual war and the kingdom of the heavens. They're significant and they're lasting. Because in the coming king, in the millennium, there'll be cities and kingship will be over them. Hmm. So <clears throat> So you think that relates to citywide churches of some kind? Bear with me. Okay. The Church of God is built for spiritual war. Now, I know that 
that's rarely taught and even less rarely behaved, can we say, mm-hmm. or acted out. But God created the church of God for spiritual war in the heavens. And believe you me, the Lord is a pretty good matchup uh, offensive coordinator. Let's just say that. He gets mismatches. <laughs> okay. And uh, the Lord arranges mismatches in the heavens where he'll put a church against the angelic realm. And the angels, of course, have no chance against even a single average believer, let alone a church full of believers. Well, Unless speak- those believers, of course, misbehave themselves, which case then... You know, missed assignments, work into busts, and end up being touchdowns for your opposition. What do you mean they have no chance against? What? Why? First Corinthians 6. Mm. What? Don't you know that you shall judge angels? Don't you know that? And what's the answer by that? That's a rhetorical question. It is rhetorical. And what's the answer to that question? Well, no, we don't know. <laughs> well, that's the truth of it. But the rhetorical, of course, the truth of it is now we're a bunch of ignoramuses. Yeah. That's why it says ignorant brethren. That's us. You know, don't be ignorant. Isn't brethren. that shall? Isn't that future, though? Is that current? I mean, that's a future thing. Of right? course it is. But what's the context? It's the future reality in the context of your present behavior. Yeah. How can you not have judged the affairs of this life when you're going to rule over angels? Well, today we're not going to rule over angels, but we're going to fight them and whoop them. If you don't whoop angels, you don't get rewarded. That's the spiritual war. This is what was opened up in the book of Ephesians. I know people get tired of it, you know, and that the reason people get tired of it is because when they learn about spiritual warfare and the armor of God, their children... And they draw pictures of it. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start drawing pictures of things, you sort of can set it aside pretty easily. (laughs) You know? And and by the way, why when people do take the children to mistreat them and mislead them like they so much do? Why is the armor of God always thrown back in the first century context? Why don't they, you know, why don't they interpret this for the kids and point out to them, you know, that the shield of faith, while it's a shield, it is faith. Or the helmet of salvation, while it is a helmet, you know. What it actually is, is salvation. It's not a helmet. It's salvation. Helmet is the analog, so you understand this covers your head, protects your head, Mm -hmm. where you think. Right? Salvation protects your mind. You'd give the kid a picture, maybe a sticker book. If if I could find a sticker book, I'd do that instead of pictures, (laughs) because it's easier to administer. You know, but if I was doing one of those here in our church, I think I'd use Husker helmets instead of first century helmets and say, here's the helmet of salvation. Because uh, what we really want to talk about is the salvation and how it functions as a helmet, not Mm -hmm. the helmet. So we teach the kids that and they learn the verse and you come away and that's what you think about. Put on the whole armor of God and bang, the picture comes up and you see a soldier that ain't you. Dressed up like he is. What was the sword again? What was the girdle pads that he had? What was the... Well, you don't apply it. It's not real. Yeah, it's like uh, King Arthur knights or something. Yeah, exactly right. Or, you know, Roman soldiers. Right. You know, and then you, know, then, then you can watch it on, you know, you watch Gladiator, the movie, and there you go. But that's not really what it is, is it? That's the analog. The truth of it is that we are in a war, and we are made to fight. David thanked God that he had taught his hands to war and his fingers to fight. He knew he was a warrior. He lived a warrior's life. And anybody who wanted to succeed in Israel in that day either became consummate failures and got less that they should have 
because they attached themselves to the wrong person. Case in point, Jonathan ended up in a sad end because he chose his father and to follow his father over the promised one, his friend David. A lot of guys ran out to David. Jonathan won one of them. Uh-huh. So what we learn in Scripture is that, uh, that you know, see, God matched up the church and cities because the heavens are organized against the cities. And th- this is just a truth that very few people seem to understand or know. Let me boast a little. Let me drop a name a little bit. I had occasion two weeks ago to meet with the mayor here in town, my former neighbor. And I told her, you need to know who to listen to. And mayor, I had written to her about spiritual war. Not much because, you know, didn't didn't know if I was throwing pearls in front of a swine or not. But I gave her an outline, told her, look, my fight is not with you, but you're involved. My fight is with forces of spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places that bring to pass in our society lawlessness. And I'm not talking about crime, although it has a big bearing on crime. Now I'm talking about government entities behaving illegally. This is the great problem of lawlessness. This is the mystery of iniquity at work when governments are illegal. We know criminals are illegal. That's just part of society. But when governments are illegal, when governments become criminal, Mm. now we see the mystery of iniquity. And we, as salt of the earth, are here at least to point it out, at least to point it out and to advise, as Daniel did, where our role is to, to advise and preserve the earth so that we can be productive and busy with the gospel. Because when we're productive and busy with the gospel, now we are assailing the heavenlies in spiritual war. And the churches are to be in cities, local, because the spiritual war is local. It's also universal, but it's local. Mm. And you can't fight universally, not really, but you can fight locally. And you can fight the local environment where wicked spirits are busy at work to create the conditions whereby the gospel may not be spoken and preached. And those conditions are manifold. There's a lot of conditions. Insecurity, unproductivity, lots of things that the enemy can bring to pass upon a city, a society of people living together in a city mm-hmm. that can hinder, incredibly hinder, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the context of our lives is war. Now that's pretty much left out. In fact, spiritual warfare becomes like a topic inside Christianity. And, and usually when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're talking about rather I don't say, I say we in the Queen of England sense. Typically, when people talk about spiritual warfare as a topic, they want to talk about the more dramatic evidences of demonic involvements, the more dramatic evidences, like where you have a obviously demon-obsessed person. Mm-hmm. And that, those are real things. Those are not, you know, I'm careful to tell people those those are real. Those actually happen. Sometimes, though, it's not obsession. It's just demon-driven. It's just occasional. It's mm. just a momentary. It's an experience of an evening, for example. Had one not too long ago. Or I'm sure a demon was got a hold of a woman and moved her to do something wrong. 
Now, I'm not always certain about that. I mean, you can do all kinds of wrong things just being you. By yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't, but sometimes you can tell where there's rather extraordinary involvement, mm -hmm. where somebody is inexplicably angry with you as you speak the gospel, and you know, right. you know there's some demon, some messenger from Satan stirring them up yeah. to bring about, you know, ultimately your beating and death. So that's covering a lot of ground in a little space, but uh, the, the church— is organized for spiritual war. We are brothers together in the trenches. And you know what they say about athletes in, in mock battles, right? The same thing about battles. There's been a fair amount of work done on the psychology of warfare. And who do you fight for, you know? Mm -hmm. Fighting for my family at home, fighting for my nation. It turns out that the most important person that you're fighting for is the guy right next to you. And that's what God does. He puts us next to each other. And not just to sit in chairs and stare in the same direction, which is kind of weird anyway. <laughs> uh, but he puts us together in circumstance and arrangement according to, you know, that immense viscous sovereignty of circumstance that, that God arranges around every life. He puts us together in order to war together, in order to fight together, which involves, you know, both defending your brother so that he can defend you and he defending you so that he, you can defend him. And it's a, a way to conduct and stay alive together in the most brutal and the most serious war that there is the spiritual war in the heavenly places and if i got off topic where you were headed or not there but what i want to say is now in the context of the departure okay yeah if we leave that off if we leave off the prospect of the local church and all that we already been whipped that you know in fact there's no sense talking about departure and then saying therefore about the local church except that you're admitting that you've already departed from the faith because there's nothing else. So you're saying without one another, we don't stand a chance? That's exactly. And if we say, well, it used to be that we should be together one another, and that's the right way, but it's impossible because of departure, you've already departed yourself. Unless you're saying other people have, I haven't. Well, that's, of course, that's implied, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's, that's always the perspective. Yeah, that's implied. That and, that and, and, and by the way, that's, that's what the guy that attends bedside, bedside Baptist will tell you. Just me. That's a common statement. and <laughs> Extremely common. The churches and, are dissipating. Yeah, I mean, the church is in a disarray. There's, and not only is it... nowhere to go. Where do you go? But people tell me, well, we talked about this, right? People tell me, well, I go here. Well, then go there. I mean, really, if you're going to tell me I go here or I go there, this is my church, then go there and actually try to church there. Try to do the things the Scriptures say. Go out of your way to do them, mm -hmm. to do the one and others that the Scriptures do. And if you're free to do that in the church that you're in, by all means, continue. But by the way, that doesn't happen. You're not really free to do the Scriptures in most churches. Most churches I've been to over a lot of years, 38 and a half years I've been in this wilderness, you're not free to do what you're supposed to do at all. And the more you try to do what you know you're supposed to do, the, the, the easier it is for you to leave because they, they'll run you out. They'll ask you not to come. Because well, you're in the midst of departure, right? 
you're in the midst of departure in the churches, or it's not really a church of God at all. You know, people use the scripture where two or three gather together, there I am, and you know, that doesn't mean that you, you can two or three people can have a church. That's not what that's saying. That's the mouths of two or three witnesses right there. Yeah. That is the Lord's in the judgment of these many witnesses. Of two or three honest witnesses. That that he's still there, you know, that's his judgment. So without dealing with that, you know, I raise a red herring, then explain it and skip the question. Let me say that uh, that doesn't make a church. The church has to be chartered by God. And then you say, well, what, what's God's charter? I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I know I'm in a church that is chartered by God. I know mm. that. I think there has to be a ministry. I, have, I think there has to be men. I think there has to be women. It can't be women only, which are the first ones that show up. can't be men only. I think there has to be a critical mass of men and women. Uh, I, I take that from the scripture, from the founding of the Philippi Church, which began with women meeting out, headed by up by Lydia, apparently, one of the means, mm-hmm. that just got together out by the river and, you know, waited for man. Yeah. So, um, but, it, but the church is possible today. God still makes a way for the local church to function. And every Christian, every single Christian, is either functioning inside of a local church or he's not functioning. He's been whipped already and he needs to find his way back to the troops so that he can fight again because you can't fight on your own. So let's go back to the cities thing for a second because it's sure. got me intrigued a little there bit. There you go. Omaha is a pretty big city. Omaha's city of... Metropolitan area of about I could talk about by the way, I could go talk about the departure of the church and how they misfunctioned in cities and how large organizations grew up in place of the church and named metropolitans today we call them bishops and mm-hmm. other kind of ecclesiastical nonsense uh, and how they rose up and began to dominate other churches yeah. and destroyed the local church we th- that's a fact of history and a worthy study, but <clears throat> not where we're talking today, but yeah. The reason I said that yeah. is I think we can look at the whole metropolitan area. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's pretty big. closer to a million than a half a million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yes. if the Church of God is organized around cities, mm-hmm. ought there be just Should a Should it single... be just one? Yeah. I mean, is that even possible in a— uh, I think it's possible. A... Oh, the answer to it is it possible, yes. I don't know how, but yes, it's possible. There is a group that schismed from— other Christians by saying there can only be one church of the city and we're it. Oh. Yeah, this is what the Witness Lee people have done. They go... Is that the one who call it the church? The church, yeah. The local church. The local church. The local church. But it just turns out in my life that I was put in the ministry in part by a man who worked with Witness Lee over in China. Knew him. And here in America, when Witness Lee came to America, Witness Lee, by the way, was a disciple of Watchman Nee. Right. And when Watchman Nee was imprisoned, Witness Lee, uh, an organization man, stepped up into a role that is not ordained for any man. And uh, did, by the way, and has taken the works of Watchman Nee and published them extensively. A friend of mine and a man who was like a grandfather to me and and, uh, who helped put me into the ministry was... uh, an associate of Watchman Nee's and actually had translated some of his works. And what Witness Lee told him, uh, he went from, by the way, Witness Lee went from China mainland to Taiwan, where he built his uh, organization and then, then moved into the west coast of, of the United States and spread throughout the country a little, a little bit. 
a little-known band of believers, by the way, a lot of them Chinese. When, when Witness Lee came to the West Coast of the United States, he contacted Dan Smith and asked him to come with us. The mainstream is flowing out of Taiwan these days, no longer America or England. And uh, Dan Smith told him the mainstream is still flowing from the throne of grace, and I'm in it. <laughs> so he refused uh, the offer to become, you know, a lieutenant in this organization, where I'm sure he would have been well taken care of. But this local, but this church, local church of Witness Lee actually creates schism by saying, well, we're the local church, and there should only be one local church in a city. I mean, shouldn't there be, though, according to this city construct? Uh, yeah, there should be, but there isn't. Yeah. So you got to deal with that. Uh, I always encourage people to function as if there might be. But as you do that over the years, you find out that you really, that there really isn't one mm. church in a city. Uh, you get opportunities to test fellowship between churches. And sometimes that actually works. Most of the time, no. It's never truly worked in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Almost always the form of government of churches gets in the way. And you find that they're led by a guy who's preserving his ministry and just doesn't want you around yeah, or uh, want you around, but uh, the way he says to be. A, a diatrophies type. Mm, we don't have to go all the way to diatrophies <laughs> where he's throwing people out of the church at yeah. his will to, to, to be on the path of diatrophies. Well, I said a type. Yeah. I mean, Hirelings. Like yeah. We don't even have to go to diatrophies. We can just go to hireling, you know. The hireling flees when the enemy comes. As soon as you go to war, that hireling's gone. There is no reason for you ever to be in a church led by a hireling. And that's not just somebody that's getting paid. What? It's somebody what who, it? if he wasn't getting paid, he'd be gone. You want to know if you've got a hireling in your church? Stop, stop paying, paying him. See what happens. Yep. Just stop paying him for a while. Put his paycheck in a savings account and don't tell him. If you feel like, well, that'd be so mean, you know, because the guy needs the money, that's fine. Carefully put the money aside for him. Give yourself, you know, 120 days. And you just tell him, hey, you know what, we're not going to pay you. Just tell him that. We're not going to pay you. And see how he does for 120 days or 180 days or a year. Mm. See if he leaves. He'll leave. He'll leave. The hireling flees when trouble comes, and money's a test. So might as well test the hireling with money now mm -hmm. before it gets worse than money, a bigger problem than money comes, and he'll leave you then. Am I off the subject? There should be Not one. Necessarily. There should be one church. But how does that actually happen? Yeah. Yeah. In my lifetime, it doesn't happen. I'm open to it myself, personally. So... I'm open to fellowship with every Christian there is, except they disqualify themselves. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. Got to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the people we do fellowship with, look at them. I mean, we put up with, look, look at you. Yeah, dorks. Look at me. Yeah. You know, we put up with each other. And, put subtly, and, dorks. Yeah. 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 Put nicely. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a nice term. So, yeah, I mean, I'll admit that possibility that, you know, there shouldn't be divisions. There shouldn't yeah. be. But there must be, right? Yeah. On the one hand, there shouldn't be. And on the other hand, there must be. And I know the context of that division was the local church. But what about the context where the local church has a division? They that are approved are supposed to show up. They do show up, actually. What people do, they do. 
and people split off and start another church, which happens all the time. Yeah. Now what? Exactly. Which one has a charter? Maybe neither one Good of question. them. Question. I was going to ask. How do you uh, judge? A here's church? here's what I can tell you: people that split off and start a church, they have the seeds of split right in them, and they will split again, and they will split again, and they will split again, and they will never get away from the splitting. You watch these churches. There's no righteous splitting. <clears throat> There's righteous division. Uh, ooh, now we have a. A distinction here. There is a distinction. Okay. It depends who leaves. Well, there's a division that the approved may be known. Okay, right. If the approved leave, there's not going to be any division coming from them because they're the approved ones. If a division occurs in a church and the approved leave, what's left will split again. Mm. If a division arises in a church, and the disapproved leave. Yeah. They will go somewhere, and they will split again. So when you find churches that don't split, there you go. There's a church that has a possibility of the charter from God because they haven't split. Or they suffered a split, and the approved ones stayed. You say, well, how do you know you come to a church? How do you know those are the approved ones? Well, God will show you. Mm. Just keep going. I just keep going. So, but yeah, this metropolitan view, I think, is is uh, defensible in Scripture mm-hmm. and a key instrument uh, or a, a key fact to know in strategizing the spiritual war. Don't know how we got there. So but, just to head back to where we started. Yes. And say, you know. Departure. Perhaps this, this, this particular verse that I picked out just to spark the conversation may actually be specifically about the elect being having been removed from the earth oh, it and certainly not is. the faith having dis- dissipated. It is the capstone of the end of the faith on earth. It's the capstone. Partly because men, what men do, you know, he's coming to avenge the elect. Mm-hmm. So men have murdered the elect. They have, a, they have, by the way, through every generation murdered the elect. But here at the end, it's, it gets worse and worse. They murder, you know, they seek out and murder all the elect. Yeah. Today, they just want to kill you. And that day, they actually get it all done. And the Lord, on his part, knowing the wickedness of man, knowing that he's refused God's gracious offer, has withdrawn his elect as well. So you have a combination here of God withdrawing the elect in the case of the believers, taking them up and out to gather in the heavenlies. Mm -hmm. In the case of the elect Jews, taking a third of the Jewish nation out and hiding them in the wilderness. So removing them not to heaven, but to the wilderness where they won't be touched and Mm -hmm. they won't be, they can't be touched because of miraculous means and leaving the others to witness and the world murders them all so that when the Lord comes, will there be the faith? No, there will be the elect. There will be some elect. What about, you know, when they look upon him whom they pierced? Yes, there will be some light. All of Israel is saved then. That's right. All of Israel is saved. That's the Israel of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the faith will be in the Israel of God that remains there. The faith will be there. But will, will it be on the earth? No, it won't. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. And and maybe when you're a first century reader, maybe I mean, of course, these aren't out at the time that you know these didn't come out. This gospel's not around for the church at Jerusalem to write. But maybe somebody who 
was a good student in the Church of Jerusalem, but a young guy. And he went out into the dispersion and uh, say he was um, 25 years old in 70 A.D. And uh, maybe he comes across these scriptures now and hears them or actually reads them later in his life. Mm-hmm. And he looks at this and he says, well, faith in the earth. What is this faith in the earth? I heard that Paul got it out there to Ephesus and that the Gentiles are believing. But does the faith go to the whole earth? Or maybe you heard the ministry of Paul where he says it has gone out through the yeah. entire earth. You know, maybe that guy that's from the Jerusalem church that later reads this and says, wow, you know, that's a big thing, faith in the earth. You mean that's going to end? This wonderful thing that has just happened is going to end? He might look at it that way, right? Mm-hmm. We look at it knowing the face in the all, all, whole earth and going, oh, really? This is going to stop this deal? You know, this deal that's been going on for so long yeah. is going to finally stop? So, you know, it's universal truth, but you see how, you know, it may not be uh, a huge deal when you read that, or it might be an enormous deal you read that, depending on how you think and what you know. Yeah, perspective is everything, huh? Yeah. And and when we read it, knowing what we know, you say perspective is everything— the detailed perspective is, yeah, I, I not only saw that the gospel went to the Gentiles at Ephesus and then the apostle took it to the whole world, but mm-hmm. I also saw in the letter to Timothy that, you know, departure seems to characterize the time of the church at the death of Paul. Right. Then maybe you could be a little bit of a student of Bible of uh, history and try to trace through those thorny problems of the red line or the silver line of Christian history or whatever. And maybe, as you can see, I've I've done that, and I'm not real big on it, but departure is the overwhelming context of Scripture, so it is not difficult to see yeah. that despite the fact that there might be blips, you know, it might look like an analog graph, it is trending down. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe a maybe a little uh, revival. A revival gives you a little head and shoulders action, but down it goes. So that the good student of the Bible, the serious Bible student, looks at this and goes, "Yeah, I see that. I see that's a long term trend that finally reaches its capstone of zero. In right. Earth. Moral of the story is go to church. Go to church, absolutely. <laughs> hey, go to church, you know, yeah. and then get out when you need to. Yeah.